Live from the Bunkhouse Saloon in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada, this is Bunkhouse! In 1911, the world is at a constant state of consternation and contention. We are about eight years away, or seven years away from World War One, and everybody's arguing. Anarchists, communists, socialists, everybody's arguing. 1911, in Chicago, Illinois, Washington Square Park, anarchists, radicals, artists decided they were going to create something, and they created something that was called Bug House Square In Washington Square Park, they got on soapboxes, they stood on those soapboxes, and they debated the issues of the day. It was called Bughouse Square because Bughouse was a pejorative for a loony bin. 1952, the country was still at odds. In a different place, at a different time, after World War II, now it was anti-communism and civil rights, and we were at odds. We could not argue with each other effectively. Studs Terkel, a famous journalist from Chicago decided to reignite the Bughouse Square model and brought it back, soapboxes and all. 2018, Donald Trump is in office. We don't know how to argue, and we also, unlike those other two time periods, have the fucking bane of our existence, Facebook. We don't know how to argue. All we know how to do is scream at each other. So David Kimmel and I, and literally decided that we would bring back Bug House Square in our own way, which is a show called Bug House. That's what we're doing. Thank you. It is the art of the dialectic. Now, I will tell you, we have six writer performers. None of them got to decide what topic they were debating. None of them got to decide which side of the topic they were debating, because we believe, just like high school debate, if you can argue effectively the opinion against yours, then you bolster your ability to argue your own. That's the idea behind it. Cool. We have three topics tonight. Three topics that would, these are pressing issues, my friends. Pressing issues. The first issue that you will hear tonight, the public pool. We're in Las Vegas. It's getting fucking hot. I'm from Chicago. It's getting fucking hot. And the public pool is a thing we gravitate to. But the question at hand, is, it the, is the public pool an oasis of wonder or a deep puddle of filth? Because it could go either way. That's the first topic. The second topic, we're approaching the 4th of July, Independence Day. Firecrackers and booze and MAGA hats and whatever. With the deep history of the United States, the question at hand is, is Independence Day a celebration of our great country's heritage or a bunch of Americans dancing on the graves of genocide? Yeah. And the third topic, 
It is arguable to say that part of the reason we have climate change going is that we are overpopulated as a country, as a nation. But everybody wants to have babies. Some of David Himmel's friends are either pregnant or just had babies. A lot of babies. So the question is to procreate or not. What is the value of having a child? gentlemen, spring to the stage, our debaters, Dana German and Eric Lewin. Come on, give me a hand. All yours. Oh, I'm going to go down here. Oh, yeah, that's Eric, and he's going to go down there. I'm going to go first. Because I'm awesome. Also, $15 suggested. If you want to use a card, come to me. Cash goes to Davey. Friends, I'm here to say it plain. Public pools are a welcome relief and respite in a world growing more private, privatized, and exclusive to a fault. This is the crux of my plea, and I'll say it again with earnest conviction because this topic deserves a greater purpose to illustrate yet another battle in the class war. Public pools are a relief and a respite, much needed, in a growing, more privatized and exclusive to a fall world that we live in. I've never been more myself, more able to clear my head and breathe, more at home in place than when I'm lying on a chaise lounge beside a cement hole filled with agua fria. <laughs> Body of water suited to recreation, for pleasures indulging multiple senses, and a seat from which to simply observe the passing of time. Do you feel this way too, guys? Don't we all wish to continue to live in a world that embraces this culture? Can it be ghetto and clubby? Yeah, sure. But even within that kind of unstructured element of play, the pool itself becomes the great equalizer. Water takes up space, which provides dimensionality. It reflects light, thereby inviting warmth. It relieves tension and encourages relaxation by smoothing corners. And it's universal. Everyone can appreciate water. There is room for everyone. A couple weeks ago here in the Free Weekly mag, uh, a big spread was devoted to pools and pool culture, which around here, I'm new to Vegas, and I'm finding this is really the best. We're doing a lot of things right here, folks. One of my new personal favorites is the pool at Hooters Casino. And part of that enjoyment, you know it, it comes from sharing and watching others' enjoyment of it also. Fun fact. In both a pool and an open waterfront setting, I have been a swimming instructor and, more importantly, a lifeguard. Uh, thank you. Thank it, you for your service. It, thank you. It pays peanuts. You're a hero, Dana. But it's, hey, it's hella interesting, David. Uh, this line of work, you see all ages, all abilities. I watched a guy dive in once with his socks on, and that was new. The day-to-day -day of an on-call lifeguard, even in these parts, I speculate, is not necessarily a glamorous one, but it's not terribly hard work. 
it simply demands vigilance and, and you know, surveillance, which is kind of odd, though not uncommon, as we know, just strange. And strange, you know, that operative word, is something Vegas intimately understands and can appreciate. I feel like Vegas looks at itself sometimes the way I imagine the Japanese do. Like they, we know how weird we are and you know that we're kind of a worldwide anomaly, but only instead of embracing conformity and in most cases unflinching politeness, like here in Sin City, each individual gets to pick and choose how best to fulfill or discard these hyper-eccentric qualities, am I right? So as regards pools, Vegas has a wealth of stellar opportunities still within its growing grasp to do whatever it can, whatever we can, to put our elite, well-tended fleet of public pools to use as utopian community builders. Who's with it? Yeah! yeah. Can there be improvements? Oh, you bet. Timing for one. Okay, here in the desert, a pool should never be closed. More especially, out of season. Never, it should no. never happen. No. I'll go ahead and make the argument that there is a small but untapped market here for a lifeguarding graveyard shift, okay? I love, too, the idea that season passes or punch cards might be a ready source of revenue for, say, a local apartment complex, which happens to have a nice setup that doesn't get much play. I'm talking to you, Royal Manor, on Boulder Highway at Tropicana. <laughs> Why not bring more locals and thereby more potential customers to your doorstep? It's kind of a no-brainer. Thankfully, since most pools in this day and age are completely free, they are still, however, cheap. And I'll throw a few dollars at something I know with just a li little extra love in the you know, money department could remain guest friendly. And a lot of you feel the same way, I imagine. So my mom taught me a bunch about how to keep things nice. Um, I still go for the Girl Scout route most of the time when it comes to kind of randomly picking up trash and attempting to beautify or feng shui things up where I'm able. And I know these roots go real deep as during formative summers on muggy days when the fam would pack up a bag and a lunch and go out to our friend's house about 10 minutes up the road in western Pennsylvania for some delightful in-ground pool time, the first thing I would do, I did this without being asked, I would walk to the back and I would grab the net on a stick off the gating and I would get to scooping out any leaves and sticks before I even jumped in. And on one occasion, diving for a drowned field mouse no one else would touch. Good memory. I'll be real. Superficially, this argument goes to the cynic. Do I want to own a pool myself? No. Pools are a lot of work for potentially not a whole lot of reward, but that's like anything if you don't use it. Pool and spa technology, much like any of its kind, is reducing its footprint and is set to improve what quality of life still remains for us in the face of climate change. It's a way to reuse, recycle, and continually rethink what it means to consume water, and in more practical terms, how to harness it, catch it, aerate it, keep it potable. Maybe it seems foolish to embrace this reasoning for doing all this when the world seems built to collapse on itself. It really is the little things, though. Even the tiniest details comprise parts of a whole. Public pools aren't the first reason to save the planet, but they're certainly not the last. Not for me. And with that, Viva Pool Culture! Viva Las Vegas! All right. Janet German, give her a hand. Lance. Lance, do you feel that? 
You've absorbed that argument. You understand that argument. And now for the counterpunch, Eric Lewin, come on, give him a hand. Come on, let her get some sugar, guys. That's Dana arguing some shitty-ass public pools utopian. Let her hear it. That's good. Uh, she is indeed correct that a public pool is an oasis of wonder. As in, I, I wonder if I'll ever get rid of this rash I picked up. She says that it's a, like a community thing, right? But so is a subway car. The public pool would be like if the subway was filled with water and everyone inside was naked. I used to take the New York City subway every day and fortunately had a homeless man give me a massage I didn't even have to ask for. It was very nice. But no one comes to the public pool in shape. Like, it's not a hip-hop video, right? Everyone's got stretched out tats and, and like, sagging cellulite pool of loose flesh like it's the end of Cocoon. <laughs> You're all excited. It's a hot-ass day. You're envisioning this, like, gleaming crystal blue oasis of refreshment, and what you get is some guy's hairy ass in a Speedo. <laughs> It's so filled up with chlorine, you're like practically radioactive when you get out of it. You're like the next superhero movie, Public Pool Man. Not even poop can infect him. <laughs> uh, yeah, you have like the chlorine in your skin for days. Uh, everywhere you go, it just reeks of poverty. <laughs> You have the public pool stink of shame everywhere you walk. <laughs> to say the public pool is a luxury, like at Hooters, that's like ordering the lobster tail at Sizzler. <laughs> Dana said, essentially, the public pool provides a service. Uh, that may be. I'm not so sure transferring hep C qualifies. <laughs> as a service, because you could take one dip in a public pool and contract swine flu, Ebola, mad cow, chlamydia, low self-esteem, cataracts, a usurous car loan, and an itchy asshole. If this is the community coming together, I'd rather be a part, Logan, you know what I'm saying? Or is it Lance, I'm sorry. Then there's all these kids running around. I don't know, some people say like it's amazing to see that. It might not be for everybody though. But I don't get that because like chocolate chip cookies are amazing and they're totally for everybody. So I don't know. Um, and then all these kids are, eh, I don't like that one. The lifeguards get paid like 99 cents an hour. Right? But worse, it's probably they're just like working off community service from a criminal conviction. Like, before they all vaped enough blueberry kush mixed with meth before the shift to let everyone drown. The same people who clean these shitty, filthy puddles work at the DMV during the week. So if they like, see a floater, and they'll be like, well, I can't really get to that, right? We're a little busy right now. 
There's not enough chairs around the public pool. You gotta like sit, pop a squat around that hard ass wet cement like it's a Russian gulag. <laughs> the only thing missing is someone to come along and beat you with an olive branch. Right? Uh, there's this is all new material. Right? There's, there's, there's no vaccine for the public pool. Fortunately, you can prepare by incrementally swallowing Drano for several days in advance. And God help you if you ever have sex in the public pool. There is no antibiotic for that. You'll have to be immediately quarantined from all human contact, airlifted out by military men in hazmat suits, studied by the CDC. And if you ever get well, and by that I mean your scrotum is reattached at some point, <laughs> you'll do PSAs and after-school specials for the rest of your life, daring everyone to just say no to the filthy-ass public pool. Thank you very much. Come on, come on. Can I get both of you to come up on stage? Now, while you were listening to it, Lance, keep in mind, hang on, if you have a question, you can ask. Does anybody in the house have a question for either of our debaters? You ask the question, they have a minute to answer. Anybody? But there, there's a microphone right here. It's crazy how it amplifies sound. So come to the microphone to make your answer, or we don't hear you. Right, Lance? That's right. My Lance needs to no. hear the answer. No. Apartment pools count, like community apartment pools. They count, but that's still no. Eric? Are you shitting? You've never skinny dipped? I've just skinny dipped in lakes and other open water, which is super public because animals share it. <laughs> I'm going to say yes to the apartment pool. <laughs> and I know that David Himmel recently did the same thing in Chris's pool. So uh, if, is Chris here? He's right here. Yeah. He was naked in your pool. Yeah, I got that text. Yeah, OK, as long as, long as you're on the same page. Any other questions for our debaters? All right, Lance. Eric's the winner. Eric, you say that it is a deep puddle of filth. Eric Luna's winner. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Independence Day. Celebration of freedom, dance of death. Backstage coin toss, Jessica and I agreed. I will go first, she will go second, and so here is the argument that Independence Day is in fact the dance of the vicious. The Joneses were the family everyone aspired to be. Their annual Jones party was the one to be invited to, and a lack of invitation meant that you sat in your living room desperately trying to watch Downton Abbey on Netflix while hearing the music in Reverly just blocks away. 
The Joneses came to the neighborhood years ago as new neighbors with hopes of a bright future. After coming to the neighborhood and crashing on the couch of a family who had lived there for decades, they decided they wanted to stay. Mr. Jones first purchased the lot their home was built upon and then slowly bled them dry financially until the bank Mr. Jones owned foreclosed and evicted them. That first family never recovered after being forced to walk all the way to Florida. They didn't even get to keep their couch. The Jones family was a successful one. Mr. Jones was a consummate businessman, charismatic, smart with money, and occasionally ruthless when dealing with his neighbors. He had a clear sense of who was welcome, and Mrs. Jones made sure that those whom she included in her weekly Tupperware parties and book club were of the sort who elevated the cul-de-sac rather than lowered the property value. One summer, they flew to Africa and brought back a bunch of foreign exchange students, except that they didn't really exchange them, but bring them to work on their landscaping. They told the rest of the HOA that these children were being homeschooled and learning discipline, although there were rumors that Mr. Jones was a bit brutal with his version of tough love. Soon, the students were loaned out to his neighbors to the south end of the housing development to landscape for certain like-minded homeowners. For some, it was intolerable because their yards looked like shit in comparison. So after a protracted co-op battle, the students were set free but not allowed to go home. The neighborhood watch never gave them a break and soon put a lot of them in cages. Now, Mr. Jones wasn't all bad. When the German and Japanese families came to take homes by force, he rallied the entire block to prevent it from happening. Unfortunately, he took all the credit for it. And the Russian family on the east end of town lost several sons in the melee. Those Russians have a lot of kids, though. That started a long, drawn-out dispute, and the Joneses and the Russians kept building larger and larger fences and buying bigger yard statuaries and satellite dishes to one-up each other until the Russians simply ran out of money. Jones was so thrilled with his victory that he waged similar incursions with the Korean family three houses down and the Vietnamese family whose yard looked like a jungle. He split the Koreans in half. They now live in a duplex. And the Vietnamese were just too tenacious, so he burned their house down. <coughs> Jones's children grew up cynical and bitter. His grandchildren became entitled or fat or angry or sexually fluid, a combination of any three and they hated him for existing. Yet, every year, they threw their Jones party. Fewer and fewer people were invited, but they insisted on the celebration of themselves and their values and their past success. Eventually, the homes surrounding the Joneses were filled with people who were either not invited to the party or were so disgusted with the family that they refused to come. Still, the party. The United States was founded to split from a tyrannical rule of an imperialist monarchy and won its independence as the underdogs fighting the good fight for freedom. Like the Dark Knight, however, you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. And as she stands today, America is the 1% of the rest of the globe, arrogant, 
wealthy, and slightly furious that no one seems to be on board with its continued dominance. Celebrating America's independence seems like a natural thing, except that in light of how much horror the country has left in its quest for dominance, the party feels a little bit like dancing on the graves of those many on the shit end of the stick held by America and often used to beat them to death. There are things for us to celebrate, but perhaps we could put the party off for a few years while we get our shit together, clean up our own house, and strive to be the country we believed we could be rather than the nation we have become. Thank you. Jones metaphor with me. Ladies and gentlemen, for the flip side, Jessica Pena, give her a hand. Wow, Don. <laughs> I was a little like dark. It's like Monday. I mean, it's kind of heavy. July 4th is next week. I, I mean, are you guys are you guys from Vegas? Are you out of towners mostly, or kind of hard to see you? Thank you, sir. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. He hosts Bug House in Chicago. Thank you. You're welcome. About five five. So down here. <laughs> so um, I'm sorry. So uh, out of towners, um, and a couple of from Vegas. So so that's good. All right. So um, the the way that we celebrate here, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we. I, I grew up in Vegas, and um, I was educated here too. So a lot of the stuff that you were saying, done, I don't. I don't really know much about um, the Nevada school system. <laughs> I, I just gotta say that, like, out of like the sixty-seven something states or whatever it is, like, Nevada <laughs> is like the highest ranked. I. I don't know, like maybe fifty. Highest. Yeah, the highest. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that what you were just saying, maybe you just found it on the internet or something, and <laughs> and, and just kind of threw it out there. Um, so let's let's go ahead and do this. Then Lance, I'll tell you what I learned in school, and then we can just compare notes between uh, what Don said and what I said. And so, um, okay, Independence Day. Okay, so that documentary. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum was in it, and Obama, and they did fucking great, man. Like, Obama killed all the fucking aliens. You haven't seen an alien, I haven't seen an alien, they fucking killed it, right? Thanks, Obama. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Obama. You know, like, he, he did a great job on that one. And then um, Mel Gibson. Okay, so he, um, he started in Scotland, and they got free there. And then he, he pulled a Tupac, and then he pretended to die there, but really went off somewhere else. And he ended up in, in America as a patriot and started fighting the British again, you know, because he just can't, you know, just stop getting in fights all the time. And something about, like, one of the British killing his sons. Um, and so he started that fight with them. And... Um, yeah, that, that turned out well for him. And uh, so that, that was um, how we got our, our independence, I think. Um, that, that was part of, part of that. What else? Let me see. Um, so not all British people are bad, right? Like, um, 
There's just a movie, Elton John, he's great. You know, he, he sings a song about Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, do you guys know who that is? Yeah. yeah, Benjamin, like Benny and the Jets, you know that song, everybody knows that song. Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, ring any bells? Oh, sir. Sir, we're in the jersey. Who, who am I talking about? The Sandlot. Oh yes, thank you, thank you, Jesse Phoenix. He's that's that's my husband, and he's wearing the outfit that Benny Rodriguez wore because I really like Benny. Like he, oh, you're killing me. He was like super hot when I was younger. Like, man, thank you. All the women in here know Benny, Benny the Jet Rodriguez. We love him. So yeah, um, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, and if we're thinking about that, the Sandlot, uh, they had that great Fourth of July scene. Do you guys remember that one? If, if you haven't seen it, it's um, basically on the Fourth of July, they have a night game, and um, it's the one game a year where they go out and they play at night, and it has this wide shot, and uh, it's the street, your typical street, the one that he was saying doesn't actually happen, but it does happen, and it's great. There's, there's barbecue, and there is, uh, you know, all, all the food, and uh, Hamilton, Ham, he's running through the streets following Benny, and he's like picking up all the food, and he's stuffing his face to the game, and they get to the ballpark, and uh, Benny, being all hot and awesome, like he's like, and he hits it out, and he goes to run the bases, and nobody catches the ball because everybody's staring at the fireworks, except for Benny, because he's the one guy doing the most American thing, and he's just running the bases, not caring about anything that's going on around in the sky. He's just being Benny the Jet Rodriguez, American patriot. <laughs> and that's all I have. Thanks, folks. There you go. <laughs> so, Lance, hang on to it. Does anybody have any questions for either of us? Uh, okay. Just one. Uh, do you imagine the Betty Rodriguez from the Sandlot when sleeping with her husband? When actually engaging in coitus with her husband, do you see the kid's face? Do you think about Benny when you fuck your man? <laughs> I, I mean, if he's wearing the jersey, sure. Why not? And I, and I can answer the question that every time I have sex with her husband, I think of Benny the Jet. So. There you go. Any other questions? Lance, who wins the debate? All right, there you go. Fair enough. Yes. Give her a hand. Thank you, sir. Final topic. To procreate or not the value of children. Originally, David Kimmel was flying. He flew all the way to Chicago for this. And Jarrett Keene, a professor at UNLV, was going to debate him. Except that just a little while ago, Jarrett Keene let us know that he was not coming tonight because he is in Tampa, Florida with his grandfather and his children. So we were kind of in a conundrum, except for the fact that this is the art of the dialectic, which means the argument that you believe in 
is only bolstered by the argument you don't. So ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in the history, and I would argue 1911, 1952, of all bug houses, but certainly for literate apes bug houses, let me present to you a debate between David Kimmel versus David Kimmel. Give him a hand. Yeah. Okay. Five or six years ago, I was in the yard playing uh, fetch with our dog, Eddie. Now, uh, this dude loved his tennis balls, like, to an obsessive amount. I, he could play fetch every minute of every single day. Uh, so much to the point that he sometimes wouldn't pee or eat. He, like, he wouldn't go to the bathroom or eat if he was focused on a nearby tennis ball. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I'm out there in the yard playing with Eddie, and the upstairs neighbor, Michelle, comes down with her dog, Colby. He was a collie, uh, far more outgoing with other dogs than Eddie was. But these two were pals. They'd spent enough time in the yard together they didn't have to deal with the dominance thing. Uh, so I keep playing fetch with Eddie and I'm um, talking to Michelle, making a small talk with Michelle and Colby and Eddie are going after the ball. And Eddie gets it and he brings it back to me and sets it at my feet like a good boy. And Colby goes to the ball and Eddie shows his teeth and snarls and lunges at Colby. And I scoop Eddie the fuck up and I march him back upstairs to our second floor apartment and I put him back on the floor and I said, you go to your bed. And my wife, Katie, says, what happened? And I tell her what I just told you. And then I continue. I said, I said he can't act like that. He can't act, he can't be a fucking asshole to his neighbors. He can't, he can't be a bully. He can't, should we ground him? Should we ground him for fucking tennis balls? Should we ground him for tennis balls? Maybe he's being an asshole because he's obsessed with tennis balls. We can't have that, we can't have that. I can't be a parent to a kid who gets, who's a fucking bully. Like if he's being bullied, I can handle that. I know how to be a parent for that. I cannot parent if he is the bully. And she lets me go with this for a minute, and then she laughs and says, he's a fucking dog. And yeah, yeah, but what if he was a kid? I grew up with this guy named Kazem Beg, this kid Kazem Beg. Uh, you think that Kazem Beg's parents raised their kid to be a fucking asshole who threatened me at school, that he was going to beam me in the head at the weekend's Little League game, and, and, and fucking did every single fucking time? Maybe they did, I don't know. I don't know stupid fucking asshole parents. But I doubt they did that. See, most parents don't go out of their way to raise their kids to be inconsiderate, degenerate, harmful members of society. But nature being what it is, and nurture having infinite influence over a child outside of the home, makes children being monsters likely. And monstrous children, when not dealt with the right way, become monstrous adults. So the question posed tonight is, what is the value of children? The value of children is that children ruin you. They ruin your mind, your body, your financial condition, and more. Maybe not all of these things, maybe not all these things at once, but they ruin your sense of self. Ultimately, they will ruin your sense of self. A parent's life is worry. It's walking a fine, loose line suspended over a 30,000 foot drop into a fire, a river of fire and hungry gators between screwing them up and then, and then becoming at the very best. So completely well adjusted that they barely make a ripple in the ocean of human history. Most of our kids are not going to be Neil Armstrong, or Albert Einstein, or Barack Obama, or Michelle Obama, or Malia Obama, or Sasha Obama, or <laughs> Bo Obama. <laughs> and if you have more than one kid, that only ratchets up the tension on you as a parent. But it also adds another level of influence to consider on your, on your kids. 
siblings. Most of our kids won't have siblings like Bobby Kennedy, who was so much better than Teddy Kennedy, but the argument can be made that Teddy was only the drunk, irresponsible, entitled, second-degree murderous dolt that he was because he knew he couldn't live up to Bobby or Jack or Joe. In fact, the Kennedys are a perfect example of how having children can totally ruin your and their lives. Joseph and Rose Kennedy had nine kids. One died in World War II. Two were assassinated. Rosemary, the oldest daughter, was intellectually disabled. So Daddy, in his quest to sire the perfect race of humans, the Irish-American version of Aryan, drilled a fucking hole in her head to fix her broken brain, and when that didn't work, because it fucking didn't, they stuck her in a Wisconsin hospital and left her alone basically for the rest of her life, completely separated from society and her family. What worry children bring? Will they be good or evil? Will they be healthy or sick? Will they like the Ramones or Macklemore? Can we afford them? How will we hurt them? How will they hurt us? Look what they've done to our bodies and our free time and our sleep patterns and our marriage. Oh my God, our fucking marriages. I've seen married couples with kids who are very happy together. I've seen married couples without kids who are even happier. <laughs> Most of them never tell me any major point of struggle, whereas those married with children say, we went through some hard times, but we came through it stronger. Eric Severino. Yeah, Eric Severino. Oh, is he here? Oh, is he fighting with his wife? Yeah, see? No, laugh at it, it's fucking funny. Or it's not, I don't know, whatever. So that's great, you're stronger, that's fine, fucking fantastic, but stronger isn't better compared to consistently strong. It's like saying the Boeing 737 MAX is stronger now and won't fall out of the sky with routine consistency as it had before. But it still caused a hell of a lot of shit before it was stronger. Consistency is a good thing. Planes that consistently don't fall out of the sky, couples that consistently enjoy each other. When children are introduced to, to the mix, they take consistency and smother it to death with late night vomits, violent mood swings, and a neediness that makes it really hard to get anything done that's not associated with your fucking kid. Add in the judgments of, that parents receive from other parents and the media and other family members, that doesn't ease the panic or the concern. Hell, I'm judging my own parents all over again. In some areas, they come out in a, in a much better light, but in many, I wonder what the fuck was going through their stupid heads, and the answer is nothing. Because kids reveal that parents don't know shit. We're too caught up in our own emotions and affections and our own shit to think straight. And having children adds more of that to your already overworked brain, causing at frequent times a decrease in deductive reasoning and, hinder, and, and it hinders other basic human co uh, computations required to perform daily tasks. I don't know how to fucking make a bed anymore. <laughs> Thinking clearly is not an option when you're a parent because children do terrible things to the human brain. Terrible things, like, like making you think that graduating kindergarten is a thing and something to be celebrated. <laughs> It's not. Fuck you. And the inability to understand how fucking time works, like, oh my god, I can't believe my baby's graduating kindergarten. You had the kid six years ago. This is how things work. Fuck you. But also not fuck you. It's not your fault. You're intellectually disabled. Children ruin. Not children as a whole, but, but your kids. 
Your kids will ruin you. My son won't destroy Don Hall's life. It won't destroy his brain. But he most certainly has all the world's ability to do me in for good. Why? Because I love him so, so much. He started daycare, preschool, fucking whatever it is today. Bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. I wasn't there. It's not a big deal. It's not like it was kindergarten graduation or anything. But I feel really bad that I'm here in Las Vegas visiting friends in a city that I love and in, with an actual sense of summer instead of, instead of in Chicago walking Harrison in his first day of whatever the fuck it is in the cold rain. <laughs> Parenthood has prevented me from enjoying myself. Isn't that horrible? My love for my child will be my undoing and your child will be yours. And Lance, you just got engaged. My advice to you, I've said this before to Chris and Amy at their wedding, if you think about having kids, wear a fucking condom. There you go, all right. All right, so that was David Himmel. David Himmel. That went a little long, like yeah. my nose. Yeah, very nice. David Himmel, the host of the Chicago Bug House, who should know what seven minutes feels like, and yet managed to go nine minutes. Keep that in mind, Lance, nine minutes. Don, I have a question. Well, we're going to get to the questions. We've got it. We've got. We'll get to the questions no, because. Oh, you want a question no, now? A ruling question. A ruling question. How much can he be penalized against himself since he's going against himself and went? How many minutes? I think it's a good question. And you know the funny thing is. Nine minutes of excellence. The answer that the answer that I will give. Nine minutes of excellence, but how much is he going to be penalized? The rule. This is what I love about Something the oligarchy. Is. It's the only thing I love about the oligarchy is I don't give a shit. It's entirely up to Lance. Lance! He makes the choice how many points he gets off. I, I think Lance should hear the other side of the argument. Also, Lance, you're an FBI agent. Thank you for your service. You're a hero. Thank you. There you go. Silence of the fucking lambs. That's all I'm saying. Silence of the fucking lambs. You think about that. Buffalo Bill. All right. Did so now. Buffalo Bill? Uh, I just said Buffalo Bill. I didn't call him Buffalo Bill. Is that Bill. your safe word? No, that's an FBI agent thing. Is that an FBI agent thing? Oh, it is? Oh, fuck it up. Right on. No, I know cool. what I'm talking about. I'm not a fucking idiot. I watch pop culture. All right. So now we've heard the disdain of new father David Himmel. Now let's hear the opposite argument from David Himmel. Hi, thank you. You look like the last guy. Good to be here tonight. Thank you, thank you. Hi. Did we sleep together? Not yet. Christopher. <clears throat> oh, the light's weird up here, huh? No. Time? When my wife was pregnant, my father told me several times that I couldn't have known or I wouldn't know real love until I became a parent, until I was a dad. I thought he was an asshole for saying that because essentially what he's saying is that people without kids don't experience love. And that's bullshit. It's obvious bullshit. I loved. Even in the way a parent loves their child. I loved our dog Eddie that way. I felt responsible for his well-being. I worried about him, I wanted him to behave well, that kind of shit. But for as wrong as my dad was, he wasn't completely wrong. 
Because while I love my wife, and I still love Eddie, and I love our new pup, Molly, and I love Las Vegas, and I love Ryan Party, and Patricia Kalma, and Christopher Gallant, and Mike Gallant, and Shreya Spleen, and Jamie Justin Browse, and Lance, and Chris Sullivan, and Eric Wilson, and Eric Lewin, and Dana German, and Don Hall. What? You're fucking my time up, Chris. Shut up. You shut up. You shut up. <laughs> and I love, I love, I love shaving my nutsack in the shower listening to Carly Rae Jepsen. These are things that I love. But like, but I love my son. I love my son. And I like him too. Like I really like him. I just like hanging out with him. And I'm sure that's gonna change, you know, as he gets older and becomes a teenager or a preteen or turns two. Because our children aren't perfect. They can be rotten. And, we, and yet we love them and we remain patient with them. That is to say, we don't kill them when they give us just cause. Most of us don't kill them when they give us just cause. Point is, I was terrified, fucking terrified to become a dad. Katie's pregnancy was one of the darkest periods of my life and as a result, probably hers. But the moment that boy came out, his head, not shaped like a cone head, like they say, but uh, looking more like a topographic map of the Andes. The moment that happened, all of my fear and my worry was gone. It was go time. Just chill. Be dad. Whatever happens, happens. And the best I can do is love the kid and expose him to as much of life as possible. Show him patience and understanding and a zest for curiosity and adventure. And the rest is up to him. And luck and the gods and the goddamn government. But God bless you, Lance. My son's arrival on this earth has forced me to step away from myself. Not that I was ever a severely selfish person. I don't think. I don't think I was a severely selfish person. I've always tried to be a little like George Bailey. And that was much of the chagrin of, um, of women I've lived with and my own bank account. But, but I've stepped away from myself. I've got, I got out of my own way and, and I can better deal with, with and, and, or avoid what has so often been dest uh, destructive self-doubt, panic, and misery. I haven't perfected it, but I'm better. And I had to do it this way to be a better person for, for Harrison to live with, see? I long tried to do this with Katie and other people I've been close to, but sometimes the worst of me, very often the worst of me, got the best of me. Something about being a parent finally lifted me up, like, uh, like if I can dip into like some deep like B-side 90s pop culture. It was like in the movie Hook, yes. when grown up Peter Pan played by Will Smith. <laughs> Robin, Robin Williams, whatever, like it matters any fucking more. Whoa. When Robin Williams is finally able to fly because he figures out that his happy thought is his children. It was kind of like that. Or maybe it's just that I, that I worry less about Katie writing a tell-all book about me and more about Harrison writing the tell-all book about me. Because as far as I think I may have come, I still remain very, very much concerned about my legacy and how I'm remembered. Being a parent forces you to examine your life and the world you've been complicit in building uh, in, in, a, in a different way. It's hard, it's hard to sweat the small stuff as a parent because that's basically what your kid does every single day. Harry, if he, if, he gets, if he can't get a hold of the remote control or has to let the remote control go or can't reach our iPads or iPhones, this is what happens to him. Ah! 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 
yeah, it is, because I fucking get it. I get it, man. I want to act that way every time my, my cloud storage doesn't do whatever the fuck I think it needs to do. But I can't do that anymore because that sets a terrible example for the kid. And I don't want my son to be like me. I want my son to be better than me. It's true that time flies when you have kids. It's wild to think how much has happened in the 15 months since Harry has been on this planet since I've been a dad. I'm not going to tell you my son is a genius because he's not, or he might be, I don't, I don't know. But I'm sure he's smarter than some kids, just the same as there are other kids that are smarter than him. But that's not the point. The point is that it's amazing to see a human develop so quickly from such a close-up and personal vantage point. Like seeing that child struggle to like use their pinching fingers to pick things up, and then like the next day they're pinching your cheeks and breaking skin, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> and, and his development, if you're fortunate, will never stop. He or she will always be learning new things and adapting. Recognizing this as a parent forces you to look at the rest of humanity with a more patient and sympathetic eye. I don't like Donald Trump. Never have, probably never will. And the reason I don't like him is not reactive. It's because I've taken the time to look at how his development as a human has led to stunted intelligence and a grand lack of compassion. But God bless America, Lance. <laughs> Your children provide you a better perspective for which you can hate people. Since becoming a dad, I've slowed my drinking. Well, slow. I slowed it. Slow. I didn't stop it, I'm not a monster. But it's because I need to be up early and ready to play with him and, and teach him and be less of a zombie to support my wife's motherly duties. And again, I'm not, I'm not claiming that like perfection or demanding sainthood or knighthood or a fucking pat on the back, but I'm trying and my son is the reason. I'm more present because of my son. I don't get lost in the mindless scroll of whatever app is on my phone. I don't want Harry to see that behavior because we now know that damage, obsession, or addictions like that can do to children. And I don't want to miss being a part of whatever moment might be worth experiencing and remembering in real time. I'm exercising more. Again, yeah, I'm training for a marathon, but I want to live long enough to be a grandfather should Harry decide to have children of his own. And or live well enough to, that I don't become like Harry's old man that can't keep up with him at whatever age it is. A better connection to my physical and emotional and mental self has given me an overall better and more confident sense of self. If not for my child, I'd still be perfectly happy being a miserable grump, counting the days before type 2 diabetes set in. David Himmel is full of fucking shit. Children don't ruin you. Children make you better. Let's give David Himmel and David Himmel a hand. Now, we'll have the questions, but Lance, you don't have to determine who wins the debate. Yeah, he does. You have to determine which one he believes. No, and that's important. That's it important is important. Because, because Lance, I don't know. You, know, I don't. you have to determine which one he truly believes because we've never done Lance, this before. He just lied to you. He does know. Yeah. So the question is, does anybody have any questions for either David Himmel, child hater, or David Himmel, child lover? Yes. I will. I, yes, I will. Oh, this fucking guy. This you fucking guy. You know which one you actually are. Like, you know. Like, you just said, like, I don't, I don't know. You're like, you're kind of like, I don't know. You totally know. 
What's your question, sir? Sir, did you have a question? Is there a question mark there somewhere? You have a question? <laughs> His question like, is, are you full of shit? Of course I'm full of shit. Okay, there you go. That was or the question. Am I? Any other questions for David Himmel? Somebody, come on. Yeah. What? Both. Which? Yeah, both of them. I've known him for a while. Both. The attractive one. Dana, you have a question? Donald has a question. Donald Hickey. Hickey. All right. Hickey, question. You only addressed why you should have a kid. You didn't address why other people... You didn't connect. Right. Okay. So the question that it was more of a statement, an insulting statement, uh, was that I only addressed why I should have a kid or shouldn't have a kid, not not why the general public. I apologize if you thought that way because that's not my intention. Uh, my intention was you was the general, uh, the masses. But the perspective was how kids, don't, they don't fuck up like society. Like Harry's not gonna, I mean he might, like maybe he becomes a fucking Jeffrey Dahmer or Mitch McConnell or something. But uh, it's more about how the child, how the individual kids fuck up you as a parent and ruin your life as a parent. So all the parents out there were lesser people for having children. I just want to point out that Harry is not going to be a Jeffrey Dahmer or a Mitch McConnell. If you've seen Harry, he's going to be the next Adrian Zmed. Oh! <laughs> Nobody else got that but me. <laughs> I know. Adrian Zmed, just real quickly, was the star in Grease 2. Yes. Yes. And was, was uh, what's his fucking name? He played uh, Captain Kirk. William Shatner's co-star in T.J. Hooker. T.J. Hooker, yeah. That wasn't Heather Locklear. I was on a cruise where Adrian Zemed was the star of the cruise, and it was the saddest thing I've ever seen. Why did you pay for that cruise? It was What's-Her-Face's parents. Could we talk more about T.J. Hooker? We have one more question. I think we should. Lance! One more question. Oh, one more question. We have one more question from a lady in the audience. I'm listening. I'd like to know, while you're enjoying your, uh, your son... And your wife has gone off to do her motherly duties. What are those? I'm gonna let him answer this one. Uh, no, that's a great question. The question, well, you guys heard the question. The question was, uh, what are my wife's motherly duties while I go and enjoy my son? Is that? Uh, a big part of it is taking the kid away from her so she can have a fucking minute to herself. That's a big part of it. Uh, the other thing is giving her a moment so she can insult the way that I take him off of her hands. One last question. Yes. So you mentioned your legacy. This is a question for David Hamill. Yeah, okay, I love okay, it. Yep. Uh, uh, you mentioned your legacy. Uh, is worried about his legacy with your reputation. Oh, yeah. 110,000 percent. My father, my father, um, and he should be. Here's the thing. When I was a senior in high school, the first stand-up that I ever did was basically 15 minutes on my dad. And we didn't, he didn't speak to me for two weeks after that. He saw that? Oh, yeah, he was there, yeah. My dad is very supportive. He's always been very supportive. Uh, he was there at all my cross-country meets, my baseball games, my first stand-up, he the first time I had sex. Aid. What statue? He gave me literally... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. You did an entire 
kind of show about your dad, and your dad was there, and you were young, and you were a young comedian, yeah. and you did all of that. Like, the entire stage time was about your dad. You heard right. Yeah, it, well, it was, it was about my dad, and there was like a two-minute bit about Harold's chicken, which, in hindsight, was really accidentally racist. Lance! Hi! Oh, that's the best kind of racist. Yeah, it is. Lance, not which persuaded you as a newly engaged FBI agent, but which one do you think truly inhabits the spirit of your friend David Himmel? Was it kids are a pain in the ass or kids are the most wonderful thing ever? So you're saying the second David Himmel wins the argument. David Himmel, too, wins the argument. Give him a hand. David Himmel. Very good. So also, in the weird way. There you go. Yeah. And I just want to point out, just because it, it, as, as David was waxing on in the second piece, I realized in our presence, someone that has done the Vegas bug house is also, in my opinion, one of the finest fathers that I've met in my time, and that is Michael Burson. Oh, Michael Burson! He's done Bug House. He has a lovely daughter, and he is one of the most devoted and enthusiastic and sweet fathers I've ever met. I don't have children, don't want them, but Mike makes me go, hmm, I wonder. There you go. Us. A couple of thank yous. First of all, thank you to Lance for his excellent judging skills. Thank you to Ryan Party for the bunkhouse. Come on. Right? Thank your bartender with some cash. And please, reiterate.